Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. The phrase that we say specifically to companies when we work with them is, it is your responsibility to do everything you possibly could to give the customer the best chance of getting a good outcome. And I don't think that most insurers pass that test at the moment. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have James Daly with us, and we will be discussing the concept of treating customers fairly. James started out as a journalist, writing for the Sunday Telegraph and the Independent, specialising in financial issues. Between 2009 and 2013, he was editor of Rich Money magazine, and he still writes regular columns in the Telegraph's money section. But in 2014, he founded Fairer Finance, a consumer group, ratings agency and consultancy with a mission to get a better deal for customers of financial services. And that's what we will be discussing today. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. We'll start at the beginning then. If you have a journalistic background, when did you start becoming interested in in insurance as an issue? Well, I mean, I have to be honest that um, personal finance journalism wasn't the dream. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't what I set out to do. Um, You know, I wanted to be a political journalist. But, you know, I I found that an expedient way to get onto the national newspapers, which is where I wanted to be, was to go through the financial sections because there was less demand for it, basically. And I kind of got hooked somewhere along the way because I realized that actually a lot of the things that attracted me to political journalism were still true in financial journalism as well. You know, political journalism is about holding the establishment to account. And, you know, financial journalism is about holding corporations to account and ensuring that, you know, they're treating their customers, their shareholders and, you know, all stakeholders fairly. And as I started to learn more about the world of financial services and insurance in particular, I was struck by how there was this real information asymmetry between what customers knew and understood about these products and the reality of the complexity that sat behind them. And it seemed to me that there was a very important role for the press to play in helping keeping the industry honest, because ultimately consumers weren't and still aren't equipped to do that job. In a competitive market, we can keep a supermarket honest. We know what good quality looks and tastes like. We know what a fair price is because we make those purchases all the time. But in you know complicated products with terms and conditions that run to 20,000 words that we only buy once in a while, it's very hard for us as a consumer to keep a business on their toes. And, and presumably that was one of the reasons why you set up um, Fairer Finance back in 2014. So could you tell us a little bit about why you came to set it up and what it stands for, what your values are and, and so on? Sure. So um, I finished at the Independent in 2009 and one of the frustrations there was that I didn't feel that we had enough time as modern day journalists to investigate companies and really get under the skin of what people were doing. It, it was a kind of hamster wheel of news, just turning out stuff day in, day out as quick as things happened and press releases came in the door. And I went to which because I wanted to do more investigative journalism and, and try and you know, really get under the skin of what companies were up to. And which was great. You know, we actually got to mic up armies of old ladies and send them into bank branches and see what they got missold. 
And, you know, I, I, we really did have the budget and the resource to investigate the financial services sector. And uh, one of the things I started doing when I was there was creating ratings to help customers look beyond price. And most of what we were doing at which was based on customer polling. And the more polling I did, the more I started to wonder whether or not polling on its own could give you the right answers. And I ran my course at which and left there in 2013 and thought, actually, I'm interested in this. I'd like to have another go at it. And, you know, at this moment, consumer focus, the sort of government backed consumer champion was being closed down. And I felt that there was a need for more consumer voices in the financial services space, not less. So I set up Fairer Finance with the idea of having this, this firm that was, you know, first and foremost, something that would try and support consumers, make better decisions, but also very much recognising that a successful market for consumers had to be one that was fair to businesses as well. And so I created these ratings that we now call our customer experience ratings. And they are a combination of polling. They do have polling in them, but that's only half of the score. But also the uphold rate at the Financial Ombudsman Service, which is a good proxy for how often companies are getting it right, as well as mystery shopping, the clarity of their purchase journeys and analysing the clarity of their terms and conditions and policy documents. And all of that came together to give a kind of interesting lens on how well companies were doing by their customers. Um, and, and then, you know, we created a business model around that by, as we were sort of talking about the ratings to companies saying, well, you know, you could do, you could be doing better here, you know, and, and some of them would say, we're not interested. And others would say, actually, I think you're right. And we'd like your help. And so we ended up creating a consultancy business that specializes in rewriting policy documents, helping people create clearer customer journeys even helping them with regulatory response or product development with a kind of treating customers fairly lens on. And, you know, that sort of helped fund the early days of the business. And then later on, we moved on into creating product ratings, which were really a kind of rival to what de facto is doing, looking at the sort of product features. Uh, and all the while, continuing to be a voice for the consumer in the press and externally, and, and am I right in thinking that, I mean, you mentioned consumers there, that, that your primary focus, I appreciate it's a lot more than insurance as well, but in, in relation to insurance, am I right in thinking that the primary interest relates to consumer personal lines, motor insurance, home insurance, and health insurance of, of various descriptions? It's those types of insurances that you're particularly interested in, is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely, it's personal lines, although, you know, we do find ourselves commenting on commercial lines, particularly at the the micro and small end of the market where the sort of protections and framework are, are really an extension of the consumer framework. Uh, and, you know, I think insurance has been the area where we've developed our proposition most fully and where we probably become, you know, one of the biggest consumer stakeholders for whatever reason, you know, which has got a million other things on its plate, everything from washing machines to energy prices. And there just hasn't been many people focusing on the general insurance space and it's always fascinated me the most to be honest and so we spend a lot of our time there now and I think we probably have become the most important consumer stakeholder in that space you know we're the ones you'll see on the platform at the ABI conference and the Bieber conference and so on. Excellent well congratulations on, on getting that position and although we are probably by the time this comes out we'll be nearly a year into the podcast and, and we haven't really had yet which is a kind of of mayor culpa on my part but we haven't yet had someone who represents insureds 
who's presenting the consumer perspective. So please could you let us have your thoughts on what you think the three greatest concerns are from the perspective of a consumer? Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, for me, the biggest problem in insurance generally today is the customer expectation gap. So there is this gap between, you know, what customers think they're going to get and what they actually get. And because the products are complex, nobody is reading the terms and conditions, understandably so. And, you know, indeed, consumer law increasingly kind of relieves consumers of that burden. You know, if there's anything that they can't expect, really, the onus is on the insurance company to bring that to their attention. And what we see is that comparison sites have driven the focus on price. And as a result, products have hollowed out and changed under consumers' noses. So some, particularly the travel insurance market, for example, there are now policies that really barely even do the basics anymore. But in a consumer's eyes, an insurance policy is an insurance policy, and they end up learning the hard way that actually there's a big difference. Meanwhile, all the advertising out there is saying, you can come to us because we'll always be there when anything goes wrong. We pay 99% of claims, which kind of perpetuates this myth that insurance is a panacea, which absolutely isn't. So that's the number one issue. And I suppose then linked to that, there is a lack of trust in the industry. And also linked to that, I think it is a struggle that customers have in choosing products based on quality. The comparison sites have wrestled with this over the last few years, and none of them have really got hold of it as an issue. Most of the ratings that are out there are gameable, ultimately. I can look at Trustpilot and see brands that I know offer a terrible customer experience that get four or five stars. Likewise, there's been a massive inflation in five-star de facto ratings over the last 10 years. You know, So all the quality metrics that are out there seem to be going up, while Actually, in our view, the quality is going down in the market. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I started the business is that we need somebody who can be independent and come in here and try and give consumers reliable information. And, you know, beyond that, I think I probably covered three in there. Uh, I'm not going to search around for a third, but. Um... No, I mean, you did. I think you talked about customer expectation gap, trust you talked about, and then the struggle of finding the right product effectively, the customer experience of actually purchasing those products. I mean, I want to come back to the trust one, which you sort of mentioned briefly in the middle, because obviously the Chartered Insurance Institute, kind of trust is one of their big issues, kind of to develop trust in the insurance profession. And, but yet you perceive that the lack of trust is one of the key issues at, at the moment. So, I mean, how do you think trust can be regained by insurance? I suppose, first of all, why do you think trust is lost? and How can it be regained? I mean, I think trust has been lost, you know, because of the, the customer expectation gap and the widening of that over the last few years. So although it is a, a minority of people that have bad experiences over years and years and years, there's a growing number of people who have claimed on their insurance policy. And when push came to shove, they were told, no, it's not covered. It says so here on page 78 of the policy document. And the customer walks away thinking, you know, well, how was I meant to know that? And I think that insurers are not nearly as good as they need to be at setting customer expectations in the purchase journey. You know, we've moved to this direct-to-consumer world now where you know, people increasingly buy these things without any support. And the comparison site, and often the insurer's priority, is getting the customer through that journey as quickly as possible so they've converted. But obviously that is at odds 
with slowing things down and making sure your customer really understands exactly what they're buying. So, sorry to interrupt there, but you say it's the the insurers want the process to go through quickly, but consumers want it to go through quickly as well, don't they? I mean, that's the price comparison websites took off and are so, so successful because that customers like that. Well, I would, of course, customers want that, but at the same time, there is a responsibility from insurers to act in their customers' best interests. You know, now under IDD. That's stated very clearly. And the comparison sites really have a duty of care there as well. But, you know, unfortunately, there's a conflict between protecting their bottom line and looking after their customers' best interests. And I think that's probably why you need regulation to force companies to slow down the journey and have better disclosure along the way. Getting to the fundamental issue, what do you believe the phrase treating customers fairly should mean? So I think it really does mean acting in customers best interest and the phrase that we say specifically to companies when we work with them is it is your responsibility to do everything you possibly could to give the customer the best chance of getting a good outcome and I don't think that most insurers pass that test at the moment you know if we know in home insurance for example that the number one complaint is wear and tear and people not understanding the concept of wear and tear, then why do 90% of online home insurance journeys not even mention wear and tear? There doesn't seem to be any kind of appetite to kind of get stuck into that education piece. You have to have a conversation with your customers about it beforehand and say, look, you're buying this insurance and here's the things that we will cover you for. And by the way, here's the things that we won't cover you for. And it's really important you understand these because some of these are even bigger risks than the one that we will cover you for. And here are some ways that you could mitigate those risks or protect yourselves against them. You know, insurers are specialists of risk and should be there to support their clients, even in mitigating those risks that they're not willing to cover. And I think, you know, if we could get to that place where an insurer is your partner in risk, then consumers might really trust it and value it. I suppose kind of the, the, the counter argument to, to some of that is policy documents tend to be very long. There would be lots of exclusions. There'd be lots of conditions or whatever. And when you're selling it, you don't know which one of those clauses is going to be the relevant one because something might happen, a pandemic, and say, well, if you're saying that insurers should have flagged up pandemic, then they end up having to flag up everything. And then everything is in capital letters and everything's underlined in red. And that is still all ignored. I mean, you can't know at the point of sale what the problem is going to be however many months down the line. So how can insurers, dare I say it, how can they do more than they're currently doing, which is say, here's the whole policy wording, read it? Well, I mean, I think firstly, you know, some of the policy wordings aren't clear enough themselves. And, you know, I think insurers, in terms of how you be crystal clear, that there is a sort of a get out without having to say everything you won't cover, which is making it very clear what you will cover and saying these are the things we will cover. And that's it. And by definition, then everything else is excluded. The insurance market is moving away. Traditionally, it's pooled risks. So good insurance, bad insurance, all in the same pool. But increasingly, insurance is moving away from that um, to much more individualised risk through data, which is provided through the Internet of Things or kind of various other ways in which insurers can have access to big data. Do you think that is a good thing for consumers or or poses risks to consumers, or potentially both? 
I, I'm pretty much in the latter camp. Um, I, I think that moving away from pooled risk is something that, you know, that by definition ends up creating pots of uninsurables ultimately. If it gets more and more precise, you end up not wanting to offer any insurance to those that are in the highest risk areas. And it's only the kind of prime risks that get a reasonable price and a better deal out of it. Even if insurance is offered to those that aren't seen as prime risks, then suddenly it becomes very expensive and and they end up being the people that can least afford it. So already, I think we stepped over the line and I have a a great concern about the general direction of travel as more and more data becomes available. You know, as things stand, if you tell your car insurer that you're unemployed as opposed to a stay-at-home parent, your premium can be sort of 50% more expensive. You live in the wrong postcode where burglaries are higher, you can end up with a much higher home insurance policy. But then that means that home insurance isn't accessible to, to those often lower income households that live in those areas. So every time we move another step down that road, I think we walk ourselves towards kind of social and moral problems that the insurance industry doesn't seem to want to talk about at the moment. And it's an issue that we're greatly interested in. And I'm going to talk to the ABI about it next month. And I'm hoping that we'll be launching a piece of research about exactly this over the next six to 12 months, because I think that we need to kickstart a political and social debate around where the boundaries are drawn. Uh, It's definitely something that insurers are looking at. And if we don't draw some boundaries, we'll get further and further away from them earning customers' trust. I can see all that. But the fairness is one of those odd things which works both directions, isn't it? So your concern is for people who might be priced out of the market. But the counterpoint to that is that people who are good risks will pay less for their insurance than they would do under a pooled system. So for those consumers, the pooled system is less fair than an individualised system. Well, the, and, and the answer to that, you know, is that there is no fairness. And so, you know, those people that end up at the bottom of the pile, uh, you know, often are there through no fault of their own. And those people that end up at the top are often there through no fault of their own. No, very true. And so, you know, yeah, of course, it is a kind of socialist position. But, you know, we all readily accept that the National Health Service is, you know, a pillar of our society that's untouchable. You know, for me, it's just an extension of that debate. And that's interesting because that that then leads on to what I I sort of loosely describe as a a philosophy of insurance, which is, is it there as a product that is sold very much like chairs and tables and cars and whatever, and you pay for what you get effectively? Or is is it a right that does it become something which, because society is based so fairly and squarely on, on the existence of insurance. And without insurance, you cannot really, there are lots of things you cannot do. So in that sense, it is, is insurance a, a social right, part of the social contract, or is it a, a private right which you have to pay for? I mean, I, I think it's a right when it comes to areas where you have no choice. I mean, if you own a car, you, by law, have to have an insurance policy. And so the government has been kind enough to tell the insurance industry that they're going to force every motorist to do business with them. But there has to be some rules around that. And I don't think the rules are quite right at the moment. 
I don't think it's the right of people to have pet insurance if they have a pet, but I think it is their right to be treated fairly and to have something that isn't exploitative. You know, that is what treating customers fairly is about uh, as much as anything, you know, a, a product that kind of does what it says and is sold at a fair price. I'm absolutely fine with insurers making profits, but not not exploiting their customers. And, you know, some of the products out there these days, I think are, are, are not very good. And consumers don't necessarily realise that until they learn the hard way. Yeah, I, you talked about a pricing there, which I've heard you talk about that before, about the, the transparency in pricing. And uh, on that occasion, you were talking about um, telematics and you know, the black box in the car and the fact that who owns that data? Is it the insured who owns that data? And therefore, they can use that data to transfer to a different insurer or is it the insurer who, who takes that data and just keeps it for themselves? I suspect I know your answer to this, but do you think there is sufficient transparency when it comes to pricing risk? Well, no, I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, that is what one of the things I think I want to get on the table. I mean, I, you know, I understand that, um, you know, at the moment the industry says, if we're transparent around how we price, that's our competitive edge and it'll undermine us. And I think I would need to see more evidence to be persuaded that is the case at the moment everything sits behind closed doors and, you know, you just serve up your information and a price is spat out at the other end and you've got no idea how it was generated. And of course, if you start going around and trying to play around with the variables to see whether you could get a different price, if you described your job in a different way, you quickly start to get called out for fraud on the sites and then your premium goes up again. So, you know, I I think there does need to be more transparency. How much, you know, I think... I want to explore some more, but in terms of telematics, you know, absolutely. I think that data should be portable. You know, it's great that you get rewarded for good driving behavior, but then you're trapped. You know, you've done a great year. Why shouldn't another insurer be able to look at your record and go, you know what, based on what I can see of your driving, you know, I reckon I could offer you a better price at the moment. You just have to put up with whatever that black box insurer offers you or go back out to the market and start all over again. So, that's something that I, I think urgently needs addressing. And do you see any kind of green shoots in all of this? Do you see the industry improving for customers or consumers at all at the moment? Is, is insurance in any way becoming more customer centric? Um, you know what? I mean, one thing I say very recently, I'm really encouraged to see Penny James and Amanda Blanc as the CEOs of the two largest GI companies in the UK from what I know of them and the conversations I have with them, I think they are setting a different tone in their businesses to what prevailed before. Uh, and, and if those companies really start to kind of walk the walk, then I think that can have a massive impact on the sector as a whole. You know, you talked about the CII and the work they're doing around building public trust. I think that's that's great. And I'm involved in a lot of that personally. And you know, I, I think that there is an appetite among large parts of the industry to really get to grips with this challenge. One very positive thing that has come out since the the BI stuff in at the beginning of the pandemic is that Lloyds of London recently put out a report around creating clear policy wordings. And, you know, I think what we're seeing now is this real kind of momentum behind what's happened over the last sort of six to nine months of, of the industry saying, okay, it is now time to, to create clearer wordings. That's in the interest of everybody. And, you know, I think that over the next 12 to 18 months, 
we will start to see more and more of that work going on. So, yeah, there are green shoots, but there's an awful long way to go. Yeah, and I know the CII, we had a previous guest, Sean Fisher, discussing this and talking about the fact that we too readily call it the, I, I did it early on in this podcast, call it the, the insurance industry, whereas she's saying, no, it should be a profession. It's one where we, we have customers and, and you know, it's not just flogging a product, it's providing something a lot more than that. It's, it's a promise of payment, effectively, and therefore there should be a, a move towards professionalism rather than industry. I mean, I'd, I'd agree with that, you know, there needs to be a move towards professionalism. I'm not sure that necessarily works across all parts of the market, but yeah, certainly in terms of underwriting and claims. And, you know, now the, the CII has societies for those parts of the industry. I think that's really encouraging. And yeah, I think a, a culture of professionalism flowing through these businesses is essential. Okay, so to, to finish off with, I mean, that's been a fascinating conversation. And you know, the question I always ask at this stage is, if an 18-year-old comes to you saying, I want to get involved in the world of insurance, kind of, what, what bit of advice would you give them after all the things that you've learned researching on, on the behalf of the consumer? I would say, look, the insurance industry is a vital industry that is here to stay. And it's at the beginning of a really interesting journey towards becoming trusted and you know getting in now you could be one of the people that shape that so go in work for a good company learn the ropes get all of the qualifications and be an example in terms of professionalism uh, and, and help be part of that movement that helps this industry achieve the position in society that it should have uh, i want to get to a world where People talk about insurers with respect and say, gosh, I'm, you know, I'm so glad that insurers exist. You know, they're a great thing for our society. So I hope that we can play our small part in helping the industry achieve that. Yeah, and I hope so too. So James Daly, that was absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate that, that, that you spent time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.